1: What's going on everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at NFL. The show's on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts like Spotify, Google Podcasts, Himalaya, Apple Podcasts, whatever you like. Or you can simply ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings if you don't want to touch your germy phone. And today we have quite a bit to talk about. There was the release of Xavier Rhodes and Linval Joseph and David Morgan on Friday. It was confirmed that the league year will start as planned, so as you're listening to this, legal tampering might even be open. There are more developments with COVID-19 and how it's affecting the NFL and sports everywhere and the free agency and possibilities with the draft, and the new CBA was ratified, which means there's a lot of changes coming to the salary cap. But before we get into the league-wide stuff and the the status of the season and the status of the collective bargaining agreement and, and free agency and all that stuff, let's talk about the moves that the Vikings made on Friday. They elected to release Xavier Rhodes, Linval Joseph, and also David Morgan was released with a failed physical designation. As a result of all of those moves, the Vikings have a total of $15,405,936 of 2020 salary cap space, and that also includes what they'll have to spend on their draft picks and what's changed with the new CBA in 2020 salary cap space to go toward either extending and re-signing unrestricted free agents or going and finding new free agents to replace the departing players. This comes at very little surprise to those who were covering and following the Vikings because they were in such a dire salary cap situation with important players departing like Everson Griffin, Anthony Harris, and Trey Waynes. Now the Vikings have a few more options in terms of how they are going to handle those departures. Now, I've always seen the two moves with uh, Rhodes and Joseph. The, the move of David Morgan doesn't make uh, a lot of difference. He only saves the Vikings about three quarters of a million dollars against the cap, which is, I mean, every little bit counts, right? But it's sort of a drop in the bucket. And that came with a failed physical designation. That means that his knee still isn't healthy. And when you sit out a whole year with a mysterious knee injury that the team won't disclose any information about, that's not like a football injury. That's not a he his ACL in practice. That could be something a little bit more career threatening. So I genuinely hope that David Morgan's okay. And and I hope that, you know, if he does manage to get himself healthy before the start of the season, that somebody else might give him a chance. Or maybe the Vikings bring him back into camp. One thing that they made clear with all of these players is that the door is open for a return if the market that they find in free agency isn't to their liking. I'm sure that the Vikings made uh, you know, a pay cut offer to Rhodes and Joseph. They do tend to do that. It was probably a huge lowball, right? Because, you know, something that that Rhodes and Joseph would have said no to. But hey, if if they go out on the market, nobody wants Xavier Rhodes because he's a reclamation project and because it was really bad in 2019 and nobody wants, you know, the 31, 32-year-old defensive tackle on a um, a market filled with good defensive tackle free agents and they, you know, nobody's given him a contract. The Vikings say, hey, we will welcome you back and, and you know, it's nothing personal. We wish you the best of luck wherever you go, you know, and, and a lot of that is just saying the right thing for PR reasons, but I do believe there is a possibility with all these players for them to kind of do what Chad Greenway did, right? Go test the market, say, I don't really like it. Okay, I'll take the pay cut you offered me because apparently they were offering me even less. I don't think that that's plausible, but it is definitely a fallback option if things go really, really badly for either of those players. Now, neither of those players count toward the compensatory pick formula because they had contracts that were terminated, unlike somebody like Anthony Harris or Trey Waynes, whose contract expired. The formula is meant to help you replace guys you can't pay anymore, not necessarily help you uh, make up for contracts you didn't want to continue. If you assign somebody to a contract. You shouldn't be rewarded for going back on your work. And quite the opposite. Part of that $15 million figure is factored into it a a $7.2 million dead cap penalty. That means that is a penalty against their salary cap that they are paying between Xavier Rhodes and Linval Joseph for them to play for another team. That's not exactly ideal, but it saved them almost $19 million in cap space. So obviously the move was worth it from, from that aspect. However, it does create a need. The Vikings now need another cornerback. They currently have only Mike Hughes, Holton Hill, and Chris Boyd under contract as cornerbacks, and the only safety they have under contract is Harrison Smith, in addition to a couple of random futures contract guys that obviously won't be relied upon to contribute in season. So the Vikings have quite a bit of work to do, especially in that secondary, though that $15 million could go a long way towards solving that problem. The Vikings are in a similar situation with their defensive line, with Everson Griffin also slated to depart via free agency, and if they let all of those players go, they'll have Neil Hunter and Shamar Stefan as the only two returning starters. It was never a secret that the Vikings' defense was going to look a lot different, and right now is not really the time to evaluate the state of that defense, because they haven't actually made any acquisitions. It can only, at this point in the season, have gotten worse. There's no way for it to get better until free agency and the draft actually happen. So for me, I'll hold off my evaluations on the actual state of the group until the actual acquisition periods of the offseason transpire. Until then, it's just a matter of trying to convert players into resources. And with Rhodes and Joseph, those were always going to be kind of Obvious moves. They both had fairly cuttable contracts, and I just said that they incurred $7.2 million in dead cap penalty for, uh, you know, in exchange for almost $19 million of salary cap space, and that's net salary cap space those two players were kind of getting to a point where how many good years of play do they have left in them? I still think that 2020, both of them will be in reasonable enough physical shape where they'll be able to start for a team. But you know, how much longer do you have on that? You know, how much utility are you giving up by terminating their contracts early in terms of their play? I think there's a lot of really valid questions about that with the way that Xavier Rhodes and Linval Joseph played down the stretch. Of course, Rhodes had a very highly documented decline, which we'll get into in more detail in a bit. And uh, Linval Joseph, I think the most concerning thing about his decline is that it didn't hit until later in the season, and that is kind of a hallmark of these age declines, where they kind of hit you once the wear and tear of the season has built up. That's not me saying like, yep, Joseph Walsh confirmed, because I don't actually think that's the case. I think he'll go somewhere and he'll probably play reasonable nose tackle, but I do think the days of, you know, what we saw in like 2015, 2016 from him, uh, even 2017, I, I think that that was the peak of Linval Joseph and we got that utility, and now whoever else gets what's left of his is, I think, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at peace with letting go of that for the opportunity to spend that on, say, retaining Mackenzie Alexander or Trey Wayne or Everson Griffin, or you know some of the guys that the the team seems to believe are a little more important than your nose tackle. The other thing is that the replacements are, for at least Linval Joseph is is on the roster, right? You know, Armin Watts is there. The Vikings are really high on him. You could also slide Shamar Stephen over to nose tackle, where is uh, that's where he played in Seattle, I believe, and that is a much more Uh, comfortable position for him. You've got guys like Jaleel Johnson, too, that could play nose tackle. So, like, they have lots of nose tackle depth. Like, I wouldn't call nose tackle too dire of a need without Linval Joseph. I think they should probably get some veteran in. They shouldn't just give Armin Watts the job. But I would say, like, slide Shamar Steffen over and have him compete with Armin Watts, and that's your nose tackle position. I'm actually way more okay with that than I am with Shamar Steffen being the the penciled-in three technique. And, you know, go get a different three technique, slide him over, and see if Armin Watts can't beat him in camp. I think that would make for a reasonable interior. And I don't think you have to uh, break the bank to do it. Now, there's a lot of other things that that $20 million can go to. And I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about the uh, ever-changing status of the new league year with COVID-19. And I kind of want to also take a minute to reminisce about Rhodes and Joseph and, and, you know, who they were on this franchise. I think that they have a really good legacy that's worth appreciating. So all of that and a little more coming when we come back. all right. Welcome back. So before we uh, kiss Rhodes and Joseph goodbye, I want to take a minute and just kind of talk about their legacy here on the Vikings, because I think like Rhodes especially left a bit of a sour taste in all of our mouths because he was pretty bad in 2019. I mean, he he was truly atrocious and not even in a he didn't live up to his expectations way. He was one of the worst corners in the league. And I think, you know, we talked a lot about what happened during the season. But if you weren't there, if you want a refresher the the Theory, I guess that I have is that he was in his own head. I didn't see him getting out athleticismed very much. I didn't see, I mean, if, if you have a clip of him turning his hips correctly and, you know, guessing right and just getting run by, that's one thing, you know, the thing that like Tyreek Kill does to people. But I didn't see that. I saw him getting himself out of position and then getting run by. And, you know, then the camera, the TV camera pans over to him and he's three steps behind and you think, oh my God, he's so slow. But I think what he really did was he, he was really poor at positioning himself and at, he, he did a lot of guessing. And that was kind of always his game is that he would guess and he would, you know, use tape study and kind of try to figure out the route concepts. I think Richard Sherman is like the king of this. And I think Xavier Rhodes kind of used the same, uh, the same strategy, but it, stopped working for Xavier Rhodes because I think he got in his head. I think what happened, a lot of it might be a coaching error. I kind of put a little bit of blame on on Mike Zimmer for this because Zimmer basically wanted, for all of Rhodes' career, he could put... Xavier Rhodes on an island and say, you know, you are just, just do your thing. You shut him down, whatever they do, shut that person down. We're going to play 10 on 10. Uh, and, and you take that guy out of the game and that advantages the defense 10 on 10 is easier on defense than 11 on 11. Cause there's fewer variables to account for and less, you know, parts of the machine that have to play reactively. And since Zimmer got here in 2014, that's what you got in Xavier Rhodes, especially in his All World 2017 campaign, where he was just shut down. He shuts down Julio Jones in that campaign. He shuts down uh, Michael Thomas in week one in that year. He shut down... Odell Beckham the year before, and that like famous one where he was like jawing and getting in Odell's head and totally screwed up his game. So there were a lot of moments with Xavier Rhodes where you could just leave him on an island and ignore it and just say, okay, you get that guy and we'll worry about everything else strategically. But I think as the, the defensive scheme was figured out a little more and as problems uh, uh, revealed themselves elsewhere, like the RPO problem that happened in the, the 38-7 game and the pattern matching issues that Sean McVay exposed in the Thursday night game on in 2018 essentially these ideas that oh you can beat him deep if you get the right matchup and suddenly I think Zimmer got really, really scared of getting beat deep. And so he switched to cover four, switched to quarters and said, we're going to, you know, play everything underneath and and suffocate you out. Kind of the way that 2017 worked too. You know, they didn't get interceptions that year or fumbles that year. They just suffocated you. They just made you go three and out every single time. And you could, you know, you you, you couldn't target anything deep because they committed to that. And you couldn't get a short completion over five yards because they were incredible tacklers. That was how that 2017 defense worked. And I think Zimmer was trying to recapture that by committing to this, like, don't get deep, beat deep mentality. And so he started to restrict what Xavier Rhodes does. And he said, no, 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 don't get beat deep. Lose to a hitch. I'm fine with that, but don't keep get beat deep. And then I think it actually started with, of all teams, Washington on Thursday night, they they kind of got him with a bajillion hitches. And Zimmer even admitted to this, like, yeah, no, we totally didn't game plan for that. Right. He got us with a bunch of hitches. And it's a good thing that there were a couple of interceptions that Dwayne Haskins was a total mess and that we got that one strip sack on Case Keenum because otherwise that game could have gone a lot worse. But I think then that gets in Xavier Rhodes' head. And I think once you take away what Xavier Rhodes could do, which is, hey, you are all alone and you do whatever the hell you have to do to get that guy covered and get that ball to not happen, that's where Rhodes shined. And when you start to place restrictions on him where, okay, you know, do what you got to do, but don't get beat deep and prioritize that. That's a complexity that I don't think that Rhodes had the, like... His game just like couldn't accommodate that and then he fell apart and then he started guessing and then he you know He wanted to try to jump her out But then it was a double move and he'd get torched and then he started blowing coverages and thinking and he started thinking way too hard That's what really really gets me about it with Xavier Rhodes You could really tell how slowly he was processing the game and I don't think you fix that in a year If you're Mike Zimmer, I think a fresh start might So this could be good for Xavier Rhodes. I would not be shocked to see him go somewhere and play better cornerback than he did in 2019. Uh, The thing about cornerbacks, too, is that it is kind of a hit or miss proposition in terms of predicting their play. The way that he played in 2017, you know, two years later, he's terrible. And two years later, he could be good again, even though he's a little older. That's fine. But I will always push back on the take that Xavier Rhodes, like, is old and slow, because I just don't think that that's the case. I think he got way in his head. I think that he was told something that his game couldn't accomplish and he had to change the way he played and now there's some something like some wires seriously crossed that need to be uncrossed and a fresh start might be able to do that so I wish for the best for him I always loved watching him play he's always one of my favorite Vikings I love shut down uh you know suffocating like frustrating coverage it's one of my favorite things to watch in football and Rhodes provided that for a long time that is definitely like a first round draft pick I would call a slam dunk hit I saw some stuff about like well there's no more 2013 draft picks on like as and, and I saw people saying like wow rick spielman's so bad like that was seven years ago that was a hit of a draft pick and it was you know the the real spoils of the percy harvin trade if we really want to go back and so I, i give that uh you know, my hat's off to Xavier Rhodes and the time he had here, and now it's time for the next chapter for him. As for Linvald Joseph, uh, it's a little bit simpler than that. I do think for him, it is a physical thing. And with defensive tackles who are getting, you know, 31, 32, that is a little bit less uh, surprising that, I mean, I I have a lot of trouble believing a 29-year-old corner is suddenly playing more washed than the 38-year-old Terrence Newman was in the same system. I just have trouble believing that. But with Joseph, I don't have trouble believing it at all. I think you can get washed out. I think, you know, the the thing that he provided provides became less valuable. Just that run stuffing, Hey, get a double team is just not as good in a world where you really need interior penetration to like actually disrupt what's going on. You know, it's great when, you know, you have run defense in a league that prioritizes the run, but that is starting to kind of back off. You're starting to see teams prioritize the pass and wide receivers and stuff. And the running back market is in this huge flux because teams are starting to prioritize the run less and starting to use it as a complement to play action rather than the game itself and Linval Joseph, you know, therefore his utility gets a little bit lower and their contracts were also a a big part of this. But like I said, you know, their replacements are on the roster, or at least with Linval Joseph, uh, Rhodes's replacement is not on the roster, but I do think that the money you save the eight some million you save with uh, Xavier Rhodes can get you a better corner than Xavier Rhodes was in 2019. And I don't think you have to work very hard to do that, or you could draft someone or, you know, do whatever you want to do. So there's a lot more league-wide stuff that has gone on uh, over the weekend that I want to talk about, and we're going to get into that when we come back. Okay, so from a league wide angle, there's quite a bit going on. So let's start with the new CBA. So, on uh, late on Saturday night at around midnight Eastern, uh, and then into kind of Sunday afternoon when all of this was announced, the the CBA passed. Enough players voted on it. It's kind of interesting because there were uh, like, uh, there was a margin of like 60 votes, and there were about 500 people who didn't vote on the thing, like players who were eligible to vote but didn't. So, you know that's a lot of people that could have made a big difference. And it's a very, very divisive thing, right? Like the players were super, super split on it. And without getting too much into like the politics of the labor negotiation on this show, uh, the, the basic idea was people who were in favor of it were in favor of it because the minimum salary guarantee is going to go up. And there were people who were like going to make the minimum guarantee if they made the team guys who are, you know, lower on the, on the totem pole guys who aren't, Maybe slated to play that much, uh, and the the issues with it largely come down to a the minimum salary guarantee only affects a, a very small amount of of actual revenue going to the players, and what they really wanted was a revenue share. This was the point that like Aaron Rodgers made. This is the point that Richard Sherman made uh, on the Vikings. Like Stefan Diggs and Anthony Barr supported uh, saying no to the CBA for this reason. They wanted a revenue share, which would have led to overall more money being shared with the players, and that would increase as the salary cap increased over the next 10 years the minimum salary increase it doesn't look like that's going to be something that like scales with the salary cap so you know in three years from now that's going to look like a smaller amount of money compared to the rest of the money going around and uh you know there's nothing in the cba to like Account for that. But there are also some provisions that the players really liked that don't cost the league any money. Like they aren't going to be suspending for failed marijuana tests anymore. And that's something that I think a lot of people really like, not because they're like a bunch of stoners and they just want to party, but no, because they use marijuana as a painkiller as an alternative to like Toradol or, you know, Vicodin or some of the other things that, you know, players have to ingest quite a bit of, uh, and they might use marijuana as an alternative to that. And I think that there's quite a bit of science out there that supports that decision. And now they'll be able to do so without worrying about a drug test or being randomly selected or whatever. But what I really want to talk about is the actual salary cap implications here, because there's a couple of things that affect the salary cap, and they make both of those things make the salary cap go down, which is bad for the Vikings because they need all the help that they can get. The first is that the salary cap, uh, a lot of the cap websites like Over the Cap and Spot Track and, you know, guys who kind of... Uh, pay attention to this kind of thing and project this kind of thing, thought that it would be a $200 million salary cap in 2020. It's actually like 198.2 or something like that, which doesn't sound like much of a difference, but it's like one and a half ish, you know, 1.8 million. That's not, uh, going to be available to teams. And then the other thing with the increase in minimum salary, I want to say it's like 900,000 or something uh, to every player that adds up. And so all of your lowest paid players are going to be close to a million dollars more expensive against the cap. And so after factoring all of this in, the Vikings end up with the, the $15 million figure that I talked about earlier in the show and more like 13 million after you account for them having to sign their draft class and their practice squad and all that stuff. So functionally, they have about thirteen million dollars uh, to spare. There have also been quite a few moves now that the CBA has been ratified around the league. Ryan Tannehill got a big big extension with the Tennessee Titans. That kind of looks a lot like uh, some recent deals. It has a like fully guaranteed structure in the first two years, and then a pretty much guaranteed uh, third season that would cost the Vikings quite or the Titans quite a bit to get out of. Uh, it actually looks a lot more like the Nick Foles deal, which was signed last year. Uh, but it does kind of help center the market a little bit. He's only making 29 and a half average, uh, salary per year, which is not, uh, the kind of money that you're looking at for like a Dak Prescott or when, uh, the, the Pat Mahomes bill comes due, but that could definitely inform Kirk Cousins negotiations, which are are going strong right now. Uh, and I do want to mention Ben Gessling did report that there have been some contract extensions offered to Kirk Cousins. So like we kind of knew the Vikings are interested in doing this. However, Kirk Cousins has turned them all down. And that is a very strangely, like people have reacted very strangely to this because I, to me, that's normal negotiation, right? You send me an offer. I say, no, do better. You send me a better offer. I say no until we come to an agreement, right? Or I do counter offers or whatever. I mean, there's there's tactics to all this, right? There's a strategy to it. Uh, But some people have really like looked at this as like this betrayal. Like, well, why won't he take a team-friendly deal so that we can get protection around him? He's just being selfish. Why won't he take less money so the team can be better? And I don't really have any patience for that line of thought. Uh, We talked about this in the negotiation economics episode a few weeks ago, so go check that out. But in a negotiation, from an economic perspective, when they're like studying the science of negotiations and how it affects price points and stuff, all parties are perfectly selfish. That means that they will always do what is best for them and they aren't—they don't have like the, the needs or best interests of the other party at heart. That's not abnormal. That's just like how negotiations work, right? If you're negotiating your salary with your employer, you're not going to go, oh, but if I ask for more money, is it going to put a burden on the business? Like, no, who cares? Ask for the money you want to get. And I, for one, fully support the players, any player in their endeavors to maximize their value. This is a violent sport. It's brutal. There's going to be costs for the rest of their life. And the new CBA is not doing a lot to help with them. Uh, there are some veteran players who actually have had their benefits now cut by like $30,000 a year. I'll try to find that. And so I can link it to you in the show notes. Uh, former quarterback was talking about that online. But, you know, it's also, it's, you know, NFL stands for not for long. So get your money while you can. I, I fully support this. And I don't think that players should be expected to take a team friendly deal just because it like is better for the fans, just because you want them to cost less as a fan of the team. That's not how this works. They're going to maximize their value and the team is going to try to minimize it. And those are the conflicting uh, ideologies that create a deal in the middle somewhere. Practically, I, it doesn't does sound like uh, Kirk Cousins is going to get done before free agency. That would have been the cap-saving move if, uh, you know, you wanted to Save salary cap that way. I never was a fan of that. So the fact that it doesn't look like it's going to get done before free agency, I don't know, unless it happens in the middle of the night between when I record this and when I post it, in which case, I I guess we'll talk about it uh, tomorrow. But barring that, uh, then we go into free agency, they have to figure out their free agent options without a Kirk Cousins extension that could, you know, use signing bonus shenanigans or whatever to create some cap relief. Uh, and then we go into the draft with a quarterback entering a contract here that kind of keeps your options open, and then you revisit the whole thing in the summer when you've got all the time in the world. There were also a couple of other uh, whispers coming out. Most of this was from Chris Thomason or uh, Courtney Cronin and uh, the beat reporters at large, Uh, but there is some momentum for the two specialists, Dan Bailey and Britton Colquitt, getting extensions with the Vikings. However, that is also unlikely to get done before uh, noon, Eastern, I believe, on uh, Monday, on the day you're probably listening to this, where legal tampering begins. So those negotiations could be interrupted by other teams trying to negotiate with those players, which could make it a little more difficult. Uh, However, the Vikings do seem very interested in getting a deal done with both Colquitt and Bailey and keeping that specialist core together. Uh, On the flip side, Stephen Weatherly has not heard from the team, which likely means that he is going to be allowed to leave to free agency. That's a move that I'll probably wait till it actually happens to evaluate all of those, you know, departing unrestricted free agents. We'll talk about that on the Thursday show or something, but it sounds like he's, uh, probably out the door. And it also sounds like Trey Waynes is going to be pretty expensive. I think I mentioned it on, uh, Thursday's show that his price range is going to be somewhere around like 12 million a year. Bradley Roby, a similarly regarded cornerback sign an extension with the Houston Texans for three years, 36 million. That's 12 million average, uh, annual value. So that's about the ballpark. We're talking about for Trey Waynes. Personally, I think that's a bad deal. At that at that price I, I think that's really bad dollar for dollar value and I think if you wanted to spend 12 million dollars on your secondary it would go further if you spent it on someone else I still like the Darkees Denard idea I actually think he was a better corner than Trey Wayne's in 2019 and offers a very similar uh, blend of skill sets with the good run defense and of course similar upbringings you know they came uh, they both came up together in at, at Michigan State so I would advocate that signing as a Trey Wayne's replacement and he probably comes a lot cheaper too. And then finally, I want to wrap it up by just updating you on what's been going on with COVID-19 and how that's affecting football. Uh, there was quite a bit of back and forth over the weekend on whether or not the league year would start as intended. It is going to. The league sent out a memo to reporters and teams and stuff that, hey, you know, nope, we're staying on schedule. Nothing is going to be delayed. Uh, apparently, the NFL wanted to, but the NFLPA, which has to sign off on this, said, no, we're doing this as, you know, as as planned because we can do it all remotely. So I don't know what that means for like the physicals or for like in-person free agent visits. I think that is a disadvantage for players who are in that second wave of free agency who want to like stop and, you know, kind of think over their options and make a decision. That's a disadvantage, I think, for a guy like Everson Griffin, right? Who wants to kind of take his time and make a decision. He's not going to try to go be the market breaking contract like Clown Clowney's going to sign, you know, at 1202 on Monday, you know, Everson Griffin's going to probably take a little more time and not being able to like visit the cities that he would have to move to uh, is, I think, a disadvantage for him and guys like him. And I I don't know what they're going to do about the physicals with team doctors and stuff. We'll just kind of have to see how that transpires. I think that they all just get delayed and then they'll all happen, you know, when uh, travel is reinstated with all these teams, then they'll all fly out and do the physicals and then somebody's going to fail one and it's going to totally blow things up for somebody. I I don't know if that's something that has been adequately planned for. And I guess we just kind of have to hope it doesn't happen to anyone elsewhere in COVID-19 news, uh, all of the Vegas hotels that were going to be responsible for NFL draft stuff have, like, closed up shop, and it looks pretty unlikely that they will be open by the end of April when the draft actually was slated to happen. I think it was a no-brainer that the draft as an event wouldn't happen anymore. I mean, the CDC has now recommended that no gatherings over 50 people uh, should, like, happen anywhere, and the draft obviously would be that, and state governments are even stepping in as well. In California, they closed all the bars, and places like Washington and Oregon. And, you know, they're they're limiting the amount of people who can gather in one place and making it like illegal to do, you know, more than 250 people in one place. So uh, all of these things were definitely careening toward the draft, just not even being possible, even if the NFL wanted to. But, you know, the NFL and the teams are taking this all very seriously. Everybody's closed down their team facility. Everybody's doing work from home or remotely, uh, just like every other industry. And so the draft will probably look a lot different if not be delayed. There's still a lot of rumor and I'm not going to bother going through the rumor. Some people say that, you know, that it's going to be postponed. June. Some people say it's going to go, but just going to be like remote thing. And I, I'm not going to get into all that until there's something a little more concrete, then we'll talk about it. Uh, but for now, the back and forth, he said, she said, is not, I'm not interested in that. We have a lot of uh, draft catching up to do. Obviously, we haven't talked a ton about the prospects or anything. So we'll have plenty of time to do that in uh, you know the coming weeks. But for now, we'll focus on free agency. And when I come back tomorrow, there's probably going to be a lot more to talk about because uh, legal tampering will have been open and hopefully we'll see, you know, if nothing else, we'll probably see what guys like Anthony Harris and Trey Waynes are going to get on this market. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Locked on Vikings. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, I will be back tomorrow. We'll talk about whatever news comes up. It's crazy time and uh, I'm here to help you keep up with it. So Do tune in tomorrow. I hope you guys can find a place to listen. If you were commuters and you are no longer commuting, if you have, I love you. I appreciate you. I'll see you all tomorrow. You can find me on Twitter in the meantime at Luke Braun NFL. Joe's on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. The show's available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. I'll see you all tomorrow, and as always, skull.
0: Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners, this is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked on Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Lockdown Wild to your device every day.